Hey, 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 good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Dwight, uh, one of the pastors here. So thankful that you're here. Um, it, this is the first time we've ever done uh, Church Planning Sunday, so I'm so glad. And internally, I'm rejoicing because our church sometimes struggles to vocally rejoice over things. Uh, so that's okay. You can inwardly rejoice, and I know you're super excited about it, just like me. Uh, wow. Whoa. Whoa, let's take a moment and call out whoever just, no, just joking. Uh, so glad that you're here. Hopefully you received uh, something as you came in. Uh, I don't talk about this a lot, but uh, I'm also the uh, director for Acts 29 Canada, which is a church planning network that our church is a part of. You got to hear from Doug Logan and uh, Mez McConnell in that video, Church in Hard Places. I'll explain a little bit more about that uh, in the sermon somewhere this morning, but we're really excited to be having a church planning Sunday. At the heart, my heart, my wife's heart, uh, the heart of so many of our leaders, church planning is there. Because church planning is a result of people meeting Jesus, disciples being made, leaders being formed, and then being sent out. Uh, and so we, we love all of that except the sending out part. Sending out is one of the hardest things that, that we have the privilege to do, uh, but that's what Jesus did. He sent out his closest friends and disciples uh, so that the work would just keep going on. So thank you for being here today. Uh, our story is that we were planted uh, about seven, seven-ish years ago, seven and a half years ago now. Uh, and so we, we planted with a little group, and from that time we've seen a, a French church get planted, which is over in Theater 9. Uh, we've seen a, a church get planted in the West Island, uh, and we're going to talk about another church plant today. We're already helping a church in Baudreuil um, plant there, and we're talking about the like there's so many things that are going on and you look around and you're like, well, how's this little church uh, doing this? And I would say, and what I want us to see this morning is that it's not about a little church or a big church who's ready to plant. It's when the spirit of God wants to plant a people in a specific place for a specific purpose so that Jesus would be seen and known and become famous in that place that he calls out people to go and he does miraculous things, which includes changing people's lives. So that's what Church Planting Sunday is about. It's not a day to wave a Church 21 flag or Acts 29 flag or C2C flag or any other church planting thing. It's really all about Jesus. So you're going to hear a lot about Jesus and what he had to do through his people uh, this morning. Um, we, we planted the church, so sometimes I still call myself a church planter. Um, and so when I go over the border and they ask, what do you do for work? Depending on what mood I'm in, if I'm chatty or not, uh, that depends what I'll say. If I'm not chatty, I'll say I'm a pastor. They think they know what that means. If I'm chatty and want to share the gospel, I'll talk about being a church planter. Um, so in days where the Spirit's leading, I'm usually saying I'm a church planner because they look and they're like, what, what are you talking about? How do you plant a, a building? And, and they like laugh amongst themselves if there's more than one person in there. I'm like, hold on. And then I get to explain about who Jesus is and what he does and why he plants a church and how he plants a church. I'm that annoying guy that you're stuck behind because I'm sharing the gospel with a, with a border official, but I take every opportunity I can, right? And uh, oftentimes people don't wanna talk to you when they find out you're a pastor, but when you're a church planter, that sounds like organic and vegan. Like, what does that even mean, right? So people are intrigued and that's neat. So um, good titles require explanation, 
right? Good titles require explanation. And this is what Jesus would often do when he was talking about being the son of man. He would require for people to think back on, on the Old Testament. So the Bible's broken up into two parts, Old Testament, New Testament. And Jesus would be sharing about who he was from the Old Testament because that's all they had at that point. So today, today, here we are. Oh, there we go. Church Planning Sunday. Amazing. Um, hopefully, yeah, there you go. That was your redo and you failed. Uh, so that's fine. Uh, so there are three flyers you should have received on your way in. One, just about Acts 29 in general. Um, two, about 20,000, 20K, and I'll explain what that is as well. And you received a third one, uh, which is about training and how we do training within Acts 29. Because whether you know it or not, uh, if you're part of Church 21, you're being trained with Acts 29 stuff uh, that we've gotten to develop. So, um, and then there's a fourth thing, church in hard places. Uh, as you heard on the video, that's uh, an, an initiative globally to reach some of the hardest places around the world. And it's happening. It's amazing. Uh, so Mez uh, is going to be here. Um, he's the, the short guy that always wears a beanie and uh, talks funny. Uh, he'll be in Montreal uh, on May 2nd. So there'll be a, a one-day conference uh, for that. I, I would highly recommend that you, you go to that because some of the work that we're going to be doing here in Montreal is going to be partnering with uh, Church in Hard Places. Uh, so let me pray. Let me pray because I feel chatty this morning and we have a lot to do and I don't want to be chatty. So let's ask the Lord to stop that. Uh, Lord, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that church planning is not about us. It's about you. It's your initiative. Jesus, you said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's your thing that you're doing and moving. And we're, we're brought into that and you don't cause us to be bystanders, but participants. We get to uh, partner with you in the work that you've been doing since the beginning of, of time where you made a people to live under your rule and reign and to enjoy you. So would you cause our hearts to delight in who you are this morning? Would you give us great joy and would you speak to us very clearly about what we're supposed to be doing? We pray this all in your name. Amen. Did you ever think about how the church started? I remember meeting Jesus, uh, it was about 14, 14 15 years ago uh, now, and I, I remember at one point sitting inside of a church gathering, I'm like, I wonder how this began. And then I had that like squirrel tendency that my mind began to race after other things, and it's like, well, I wonder who began that, and I wonder who began that, and I wonder who began that, and I had to stop because my mind was going to go crazy in that moment. But I had never thought about church planting actually being a thing. I knew that churches were there as a building. I knew people were the church, but I didn't really think too much about how churches were actually planted and that there was a strategy to it. I didn't think about how did we get here today? And I don't mean how did you get here at Scotiabank Theater, but how did we get here as a church in this place in this time? What, what happened? And then thirdly, I, I asked, is church planting in the Bible? Because I began to hear about it several years after meeting Jesus as an official thing. And I'm like, I don't really see church planting necessarily in the Bible. I don't see the word. Some of you uh, kind of freak out to use the word Trinity because you're like, oh, that's not in the Bible. That's a, a man-made word. And I'm like, yeah, but it's a man-made word to describe who God really is. So church planting is something that you might not find in the Bible, but it's something describing the activities of God. So therefore, it's not wrong to attribute that title to what's actually being done. So what we're going to do over uh, the course of the summer, we're going to start today, 
stop next week. We're going to talk about the cross next week, talk about Easter. Then we'll really start the series uh, on April 28th. We're starting this series called uh, Acts, Being the Church. Uh, And we put a nice comfy chair there because you're sitting in nice comfy chairs. And so often that's what we can think of as a church. I come to a place, I sit in a seat, I receive, uh, maybe I give something, maybe not, maybe I take something, maybe not. But it's, it's more about consumerism than about going to be the church. But as we read the New Testament, there's never a talk about consumeristic church culture at all. There's always talk about losing your life, laying down your life, giving up your resources, losing your time, that you are Christ. There's always talk about being sent, sometimes through a portal, which we'll see today. Crazy stuff. If you're into sci-fi, the book of Acts is for you, and we'll see some of that today. Um, But just wild, wild stuff. And so there's one throne and one person who sits on the throne, and we believe that's King Jesus, that he rules and reigns everything. But that for us being the church, if you're a follower of Jesus, we don't get to sit down. We get to rest, but we don't get to sit down. The work is for us to participate in and keeps moving forward, that we are going to talk all summer about being the church, but we're not just going to talk about it. We're going to do it as well. We don't want to just be hearers. We want to be doers. And so this is what our summer is going to consist of. It might be the most interesting sermon series that we've ever participated in. And I'm going on sabbatical this summer, so it'll probably go way better (laughs) for you. Uh, So um, we're going to do Acts 1 to 13 today. Just 13 chapters, no big deal. Uh, We're going to see three things. One, we're going to see how the church began. Two, we're going to see why the church must keep planting and moving. And three, we're going to consider our role in this. So let me begin in Matthew before we get into the book of Acts. Matthew, this was read for us before. Um, Matthew writes this, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the promise from Jesus that I will build my church. There is no other church planner. I say I'm a church planner, but that really means I I play second fiddle to Jesus, right? I'm the backup singer and my mic's off, right? Like this is all Jesus's thing. He's building his church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. And just so you get the picture, it's that nothing is gonna stand in the way of what he's doing. It doesn't matter the enemy. It doesn't matter the evil. It doesn't matter the government. It doesn't matter the culture. It doesn't matter the laws. Nothing is gonna stand in the way of Jesus moving his church forward. So we're reminded in this text that it's his church, not ours. In one sense, yes, welcome to church 21. Yes, Acts 29. But those flags are lowered so that the flag of Jesus is highest because it's all really about him. So Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, but how is he going to build his church? Matthew 16, 21 says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, the religious leaders, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So the way that Jesus was going to plant his church, build his church, is he was living this perfect life. You and I are, we're broken, we're tainted, we're messed up, we're sinners, all right? And we need to be able to sit under that banner to be able to understand what Jesus is really saying. So we're not perfect. 
Before God, we have to be perfect though. If you're not perfect, God will not receive you. And I don't, I don't care what anybody tells you. It's, it's from the Bible. So if someone is saying, no, 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 we're all about the Bible and you can just be a good little boy or girl and, and God will accept you because in the end, he always gives a snack no matter what he threw down as a discipline. That's not it. Doesn't do it. He will not allow for unholiness to be with holiness. Won't happen. But here's the good news is that Jesus lived a perfect life for us. Went to the cross, which we're going to celebrate this morning and in a few weeks specifically, celebrate the fact that Jesus on the cross became that bad little boy or girl that you and I really are, died in our place the death that we should die, and he offers forgiveness and freedom and adoption and transformation and fulfillment through him. Because there's no other name under heaven that we can be rescued by. There's no other hope. Uh, Last week, we didn't have our Sunday morning gathering. If you came, I'm sorry, to our gathering on Sunday morning, because Saturday night, we had a party. And some people were baptized. I think we had seven people that were baptized. And they shared their stories about how Jesus rescued them and is transforming them. And it's very clear that they didn't do anything. It's like, I was doing this, I was doing this, I was doing this, met Jesus, he changed me, I still struggle with this, but I'm looking to Jesus. This is what Jesus does. He lives a perfect life for us, dies in our place, and then rises again. This is a big celebration of Easter. He rises again so that we can be, we can receive eternal life. We can receive a new identity. We can can be brought into the family of God, not just in this life, but forever. We belong to an eternal family. This is how Jesus builds his church. So what, what this means is that the church is a rescued, forgiven, adopted, transformed, transforming, and eternal people. This is what the church is. Rescued, forgiven, adopted, transformed, transforming, eternal people of God that he is delighted with. Today, the Lord delights over his church here. No matter what you've done before coming in here, the Lord delights in his people. The same way that a father delights in his children, no matter what they've done. That a father loves and and moves towards his kids with, with great affection or should. And where dads fall short of that on earth, the heavenly father doesn't fall short in that at all. So church planning is all about Jesus, all about Jesus. It's his heart. And so the church then, as it's being built, Jesus builds the church, plants the churches through people who are sent just like he was sent. John 17, verse 18, Jesus is praying We believe that Jesus is God the Son, praying to God the Father, one person, one God, three persons in one, mind-blowing, amazing, right? Jesus is praying, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them, his disciples, and then us. We get prayed for in this passage as well. He's sending us into the world that we are the sent people. His church isn't a, a, a sofa chair church. His church is a sent church, a gathered, sent people. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at 13 chapters fast because we're going to be digging into each one of these over the summer. But the focus is going to be how does Jesus begin his church? We'll start right after Jesus raises from the dead. He's hanging out with with his disciples in Acts 1 verse 4. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. So here we have Jesus, God the Son, saying God the Father is sending a a promised Spirit of God. So there we have this triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit all together. And he says, he gives the mandate here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This thing was meant to go viral and global right away. And it was gonna happen through spirit-filled witnesses. But Jesus said, don't run to the whiteboard, guys. Don't get your Trello out. Don't get slack and, and get on there with the boys and try and figure out how this is all gonna work. He says, wait for my spirit to come. And when he comes, there's gonna be power. Same type of power that rose Jesus from the dead is gonna be available to normal, ordinary followers of Jesus. So the, the vision for the church is global. This has to be the vision for our church as well. It can't just be for our neighborhood. It has to be about India and about Mozambique, and about China, and about Russia, and about Mexico. Like we have, to be, we have to be thinking this way because this is the heart of Jesus. This thing is too big to be contained in NDG or Miguel Ghetto, right? It has to go out. So what do they do? They, they wait in Acts 1. They, they pray for the Spirit to come. They appoint new leaders. And, and then in Acts 2, something radical happens. Acts 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, just like Jesus said, in one place. And suddenly, this is how the Spirit works. Everything's normal, drinking coffee, drinking water, passing fish, whatever. All of a sudden, boom, suddenly, this is the Spirit. He's sudden. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. I mean, this is like Fortnite stuff. You're like flying through and like you get a little weapon and it's like hovering over you, right? It's like tongues of fire are resting. It's like, look at how many lives and power Peter has. Like it's crazy stuff. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These other tongues at this moment were real, legit languages that people were speaking that they had never spoken before. I pray for that. I go to India once a year usually. They speak in Telugu where I go. Every time I go to preach, I'm like, Lord, give me Telugu. Give me Telugu. And as I'm walking, I try and be like, like I'm trying to pull out Telugu. Spirit, when are you going to plug it in? Never happened yet. Hasn't happened yet. Anyway, it'd be much easier without a translator. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, Everyone in the city heard the sound of the Spirit. At the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Galileans were like the uneducated people. These are not the people who are taking Farsi classes, right? Aren't they the Galileans? Like they're the ones that are a bit slow. They're the ones that speak with that, that accent, right? How is it that we hear each one of us his own native language? This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit comes to equip the church to be able to witness at that time in that place because that's how Jesus wanted to build his church. And when Jesus wants to build his church a certain way, no systematic theology is going to get in the way. Jesus 
supersedes that. And he comes in and he brings miracles and he brings these new gifts of tongues. And actually, this is a reversal of something that happened in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 11, these people are together building the Tower of Babel to make a name for themselves, basically to show God how great they were. And when I was a kid, it says they were building a tower to heaven. And I'm like, I wonder how high heaven really is, like thinking we could actually build a a tower there. But they were building this tower so that they could feel good about who they were. And God confused their languages on that day so that mankind couldn't work together and rebel against him easily. It was gonna be more difficult. So they scattered all over the earth on that day. But on this day, where all the nations are gathered together, God brings a gift of languages. And he allows for people to speak in such a way that they can hear and understand the good news of who he is. You see that? Confusion so that you can't rebel together. Unconfusion so that you can hear about this great God who's here to rescue you. We also see that boldness happens on this day. Peter, Peter gets the spirit of God. Peter, a little while ago, was scared to death of this little servant girl. She's like, hey, weren't you with Jesus? He's like, no, 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 no. You got the wrong guy, wrong beard. I think he like shaved his beard after that. And they're like, wait a second, your eyes, your eyes are very familiar. Weren't you the one that was with Jesus? No, wrong guy altogether. Three times he denies Jesus, scared of this little girl and what might happen to him. After the spirit of God comes, the power comes into Peter. He stands up and preaches to the same people that killed Jesus. This is not the same Peter. This isn't Peter mustering up courage. This is Peter with power of God moving in him. And listen to what he says. Peter preaches a sermon. We'll look at this on April 28th, the sermon of Peter. But he says, men of Israel... Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. I imagine Peter saying, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. I'd love to see that reenactment. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. On this day, Peter should have died. Peter's speaking against the whole religious system. He should have died. But look at what happens because the spirit of God is involved. Now let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? do. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, including those living in Montreal, right? Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And look what happens. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. First day of the church, Right, imagine we're launching Church 21. Da, 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 da. We got our signs, we got our, got our stuff ready, we've got our 10 cards to hand out to people. And then suddenly, Spirit of God comes, 3,000 people. We're like running to the theater manager. Can we do live stream in here? How do we get every theater in the whole place? Can, can I preach on the IMAX? Like, how do we do this? How do we make this thing work? This, these were the problems of, of this first church. 3,000 people were added because the Spirit of God cut people to the heart. 
and help them understand who Jesus was and what he was doing. And it didn't stop. Acts 2, 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church was exploding. It was, it was massive. It was, everyone could see that this thing was actually taking place. These people were being changed and were changing the very culture where they belonged. Now, I'm going to skip over Acts 3, go right to Acts 4. As they were speaking to the people, these are the apostles, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, they came upon them, greatly annoyed. Now, if you were a religious leader and everyone was leaving, you would be annoyed as well. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Like, what's happening so far is we understand that we can't contain what the Spirit of God wants to do. You, you shut up the people who are preaching and imprison them, and the church grows. It's like, let's silence them. And the Spirit's like, but I'm going. I'm going to keep speaking. This is, this is how Jesus builds his church. He builds them through spirit-filled witnesses saying this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the message. There's rescue. There's meaning and value and purpose offered to everyone, but it can only come through Jesus. All roads, all religious roads don't lead to the same place. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Only through me do you get to God the Father. That's it. So this is the spirit-filled message that's going out. People are responding to this. We, we sometimes think that if we were more slick, we would grow as a church. If we had a better preacher, you would grow by a church. That might be true. If we had better music, if we had a better place, we think, all of these human things, and some of those are good and, and not good. But the church actually grows only when the spirit moves. We can manufacture growth. We can make it look like we're growing. But when the spirit grows, it's obvious to everyone that there's this growth happening, and it only comes through Jesus. So after these guys get, uh, get put in prison, there's a prayer meeting that takes place. Do you know what they pray for? More boldness. This is a church not looking to be in an armchair safe. They're like, help us to grow in boldness because we're not bold. Spirit, you give boldness. So they set up this prayer meeting for boldness. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed... When they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's my prayer for our church. That our hearts would be so full of Jesus, that our hearts would be shaken by him, that we would see his beauty, that we would grow in boldness in our, in our workplace, in our family, in our neighborhood, even with our own hearts, that we would speak the good news of Jesus and be bold enough to speak those things to ourselves. You see, there's no movement in all of history. There's never been a movement in, in history of the church without prayer and dependence. We try and do so much on our own. We're so smart. We've got so much technology. We're so, we're so slick. And yet there's no movement that's been done without prayer. 
that if we're not a praying church, we shouldn't be an expectant church. But if we are a praying church, then, then not only are we enjoying the Lord, but we're expecting him to work in very specific ways. What we see as well is that the church is, is growing in, in their serving and, and their selflessness. In Acts 4, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person. Don't miss this. This was like at least 5,000 men plus their families. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of, of uh, lands or houses set, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. There was no need in the church that God meets the needs of the people through the church. And if we're honest, this is the type of church I'm sure we wanna be that we wanna be able to care for one another. We wanna be able to serve one another. And the, the, the opportunities inside of this church are, are ample. Have you ever asked someone, how can I serve you? What needs do you have? How can I meet those, those needs? As a church, simply, we have needs on a Sunday morning. We have needs in, in kids zone. We have needs to, to greet people. We have needs to do lights. We have needs inside of this little space. And so many of you meet them well. But more than these needs, these are good needs, but more important than these needs are the needs of your neighbors that don't yet know Jesus. That those need to be met, that they need to be served, and God is gonna serve them through you, his people. Don't think about the institution of the church doing it. Think about the people of the church doing this. That you truly are. You've probably heard the hands and feet of Jesus. Like, that is the church. That you are the church, being the church in the normal, ordinary things of life all throughout the week. This is God's idea. So what we see happening so far is that this is the massive Jerusalem movement. In Acts chapter five, verse 12 to 16, it says that, that the, the church was being added to every day in multitudes. Multitudes were coming, right? You couldn't even keep track of anymore. The engage process, scrap that. That's garbage. We can't run enough engaged classes to keep up with the amount of people that were coming because the spirit was doing this. But here's the thing. Jesus said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem because my spirit's gonna come, but then I want you to go into all of the earth. So far, we haven't heard any plans for the rest of the earth. It seems like everyone is okay with this thing just happening in Jerusalem, this being this massive mega church in Jerusalem. And we like that because when we have lots of people, not everything's gonna fall on me. If there's a group of 10, you feel more weight than a group of 200 because you realize I'm really necessary, I'm needed for this thing to move forward. So there's this massive, massive mega church happening in Jerusalem, there's great favor, multitudes are being added. They, they had to set up this deacon system so that they could manage the people that were coming so that people weren't falling through the cracks, that people were being served. But just when we start to, to think about how do we manage the church, that's often when God does something. Because you can't manage the church. You can't manage God. You can't manage the growth of Jesus's church planning strategy. Jesus is the real visionary. And so here's what happens. Skip over this. Acts 8, verse one. Let me go back to Acts 6 and 7. There's a guy named Stephen. He was one of the seven guys who was gonna be responsible to be a deacon to help steward and manage the things that were going on. He preaches a sermon, gets killed. Here it says, and Saul 
approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. You remember what Jesus said? I want you to go into all the world. I I want this to start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Boom. No one was doing this on their own initiative. No one was moving. No one was saying, well, you lived already. Let's send you back there. It was like, well, let's just see how this thing grows. And so Jesus allows for persecution to come upon the church. You got to hear that. Jesus allows for persecution to come upon the church. And what does Jesus do? He makes persecution a servant for his church to actually grow. Because nobody chooses persecution. Nobody chooses to go through difficult times. No one chooses to receive uh, horrific threats and and abuses and, and beatings. No one chooses that. No one chooses a ravenous Jewish man named Saul to go into all the towns seeking to destroy all the Christians. No one chooses that. But what happens when persecution comes? Well, the church starts being the church. Because it wasn't all about the apostles and what they could do. It was that now they were fleeing the city for their safety and for their life. And as they're going, they're telling about Jesus. And this movement was fast. It wasn't years, it was days. We see in in Acts chapter 8, which we won't look at this morning, but if we did, we'd see... There was a guy named Philip. Philip was one of the people put in charge of managing the church, but he had to leave because of persecution. So he leaves, and what does he do? He preaches. He speaks about Jesus, and a whole city comes to know who Jesus is, and there was great joy in that city. Then the Spirit of God says, I want you to meet this, I want you to start walking down this road. So Philip starts walking down this road, and he, he hears someone reading from the book of Isaiah. And he says, uh, hey, do you know what that means, what you're reading? He's like, no, I have no idea. Oh, well, can I tell you? Sure, come up. And it's this Ethiopian eunuch, servant to the queen. And he gets up and he starts explaining Isaiah. Guy meets Jesus that day, gets baptized, gets back into his carriage, heads off you know, into the sunset, back towards Ethiopia. And this is where the portal scene happens. Um, the spirit like sucks Philip into this portal and places him in Azotus, this other town. And I can imagine Philip being like, what, what just happened? Where did that Ethiopian eunuch guy go? Well, I guess I'm in Azotus, so I might as well keep sharing the gospel. This is what happened. This is the story of the, the first century church. Wherever they went, people were hungry for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and they were meeting Jesus in droves. And so what we see in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, I'll come back to that. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Do you see this? This is a short amount of time. This just started, the spirit just came. All of a sudden, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria was reached with the gospel. This is what the spirit does. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Here's how it was done. Persecution. Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That anywhere in the world right now where you see Christians being persecuted and the gospel trying to be snuffed out, I guarantee it's growing. I guarantee it's growing. 
I was just in India, um, and there was, there's a, a part of the state that I was in, and um, these people were told very clearly by Hindu radicals that they were not allowed to preach the gospel. And so they do preach the gospel, but they know what, what's at stake. And I was, sitting, uh, I was sitting in Arjuna, the man I, I work with, his office. And these guys walk in, and there's 11 of them standing in a line. And I'm talking with my friend Mike that's there, and Malachi was sitting next to me. And we're just talking, and he's having this meeting. Like, Indian culture meetings are very different uh, than the ones we have. I'm like, do we leave? He's like, no, 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 stay. All in Telugu can't understand anything. They just nod and say something. They leave. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Arjuna says, do you know who those guys are? I'm like, no. He's like, those are 11 guys that might not be here next year. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, they're from this part of the state and there are threats on, on their life and they're so excited to plant the church. And that's just normal for them. And I'm like, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you let us communicate with them? He's like, ah, they had stuff to do. I'm like, okay. But, but that's the church. That, that's the view of the church there. Is we, there's a good chance we're going to lose our life. But we're glad to do it because we've already found our life in Jesus. And it's not going to happen because of this great, awesome, amazing gathering. It's going to be through normal people doing normal things with gospel intentionality in their everyday. That's how people are going to be reached in that part of the world. Holy Spirit gospel witnesses happening here. Holy Spirit gospel witnesses happening in India. And Holy Spirit gospel witnesses taking place where we are. And then one of the biggest things that happens in Acts is Acts chapter nine, verses one to nine. We won't read that this morning, but the man named Saul, who was trying to destroy the church, Jesus converts him, makes him a follower of him, right? How How much better, or can you think of a better way to demonstrate your power than to go after your biggest enemy in the world, change their hearts, and then send them back into the same places instead of preaching destruction, preaching redemption, right? That's the power of God. That's what he does. He takes enemies of him, changes their hearts, causes them to delight in him and to go and tell of how great he really is. And then he sends Paul to go and reach the world. And this is what I wanna wanna end this first part with. Acts 13, one to three. Told you we could do it. Acts 1 to 13, skipping a bunch, but that's okay. Now they're in the church of Antioch, which by the way, nobody knows who planted Antioch. It was normal, ordinary people. No one has a a stake on planting that thing. That's amazing. Uh, Now they're in the church of Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who is called Niger Lucius of of Cyrene, Menian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who is Paul, for the work to which I, I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. They sent them off. And Paul went on to be involved in reaching the end of the earth as far as they saw in that day. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit changes the world in very short amounts of time. The Holy Spirit can change our city in very short amounts of time. It's the same spirit working today that was working then. It wasn't like varsity Holy Spirit and then junior varsity, like a little bit older, walking with a limp Holy Spirit came along and was like, ah, you know, I'm not as as vibrant as I used to be. Like, same thing. He's just as, as excited about Jesus being glorified and lifted up and made much of as he was back then. This is what he is about 
And this is what he's making us about. And if you're here this morning and you're like, when will he wrap up? When are we gonna move on? When can I leave? When can I go and enjoy the fact that it's above zero today? Then, then the spirit has, has work to do in your heart. Maybe you've become hardened to the spirit. Maybe being a part of the church is, is just an activity that you've been a part of just because. And you don't see the potential. The same seed that was planted inside the apostle Paul has been planted inside of you. No different spirit. And we think about how do we make it through the day? And Paul is thinking, how do we reach the world? How do I reach all of the places where Christ hasn't been named or known? We think about how do I get a better armchair? Paul's like, if I had a chair, how do I sell it to be able to reach more people? Right, same spirit is dwelling in you. And I don't mean you have to sell everything. But the same potential for gospel transformation is possible here right now because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. And we don't believe that. We don't. We often just think, well, this is going to be about it. We'll be about 75 to 80% full. And then once we actually get full, Dwight's going to make us plant another church because he doesn't want to move out of this place. He wants a certain number and like, this is kind of it. But what if we could saturate the island in the province of Quebec with, with, with communities of people that were obsessed with Jesus? What if we could see people working in finance and at Tim Hortons and at universities and at home with kids and working in nonprofit sector? What if we saw them waking up every single day saying, Holy Spirit, I'm, I want to be filled with you. I need your power and I'm going to be sent into my normal, ordinary things today, ready to, to give witness to who you are and give you all credit. If that began to happen, it, there's about 200 people. If 200 people, if we all lived our normal, ordinary lives that way, I guarantee, almost guarantee, because I'm not the spirit, but I, I've seen how he works, almost guarantee that within two months, like we're having to think through new strategies because even this room is getting too full, way too full. Because people want to know about Jesus. I got two new tattoos, uh, exciting. As I'm sitting on, on the table being tattooed, talking to tattoo artists about the gospel because I'm there, you're stuck. It's like Paul being chained. It's like you're chained. The needle in my arm, you gotta listen to me because I'm paying you. And we got to the issue of pornography. And he's, he just stops and he's like, that's a big thing. I'm like, yeah, I just preached about porn a few weeks ago. He's like, I wanna listen to it. Great. We got to the gospel. Like, what if the gospel changed hearts? He's like, well, that would free people from it. I'm like, yes. Now, do you wanna believe? Well, I'm not sure, right? It goes back to tattooing. But man, I... It makes me want to get more tattoos now. This is a big plug so that I can go, so I can go witness more to this guy, right? And, and I want to, I want to, but it's not about that. It's about everything we do. It's about everything we do, giving, giving witness to who Jesus is and how he's better than things that, that people are pursuing. Potential is moving in you and I, that the spirit will change the city. I don't know how he'll change the city, but he will. He's going to transform this city. And, I, and I'm begging him to do it through his church and then asking to do it through us. So I'll ask this question, why must we keep 
church planting because the world doesn't yet know him. Our city doesn't yet know him. The reason why I was drawn to Quebec is because Quebec has the least reached people group in the entire Western Hemisphere here, French Quebecois. And you're like, what? Yeah, less than 0.5% around that are followers of Jesus. That's astronomical compared to the rest of the Western world. Crazy. And we're here. And many of you speak French. And many of you have French neighbors and coworkers that, that need to hear about Jesus and that need to meet Jesus. And that actually, if you're like, well, I don't speak French very well, probably they speak great English because they're in Montreal. And so you can even share with them in that language that there's a huge impact. Globally, 3.14 billion people are part of unreached people groups. 3.14 billion people are part of unreached people groups. I would love it if the Lord would allow for, for us as Church 21 in our history to be able to contribute to seeing 10 of those reached. 10. Now that's a long time, right? We have many years, hopefully. But if we could see 10 of these reached, that would be amazing. But that would mean some of you saying, all right, we're going, I'm going. I'm gonna leave comfort of the Western world and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna learn a language um, that, that I don't know yet. Or I'm gonna go to Morocco where I can actually speak French there. And I'm gonna be involved in reaching some of these, these, the people groups that are there that don't yet know Jesus, right? But if our mentality is just, for us here, we're gonna miss that, that Jesus wants to reach the world and use us in our skills and abilities there. So we need to keep church planting because people don't yet know him. And how will they be reached? Well, through us witnessing, through us talking about Jesus. I wanna show you a video. And after that, I'm gonna invite uh, Brian and Jeff to come up, do a little interview, and then, then we'll wrap up. There's a lot of bass in that community. <laughs> Who's gonna answer first? I asked, I asked these guys some, some questions. This is Jeff Wright, uh, pastoral apprentice with us. Uh, Brian Alton, one of the pastor's elders here. Uh, so I have four questions about uh, this project because they're gonna be leading uh, this project, Redemption Church uh, in Cloverdale neighborhood. Um, I'll let you guys do the talking. But first sure. question is, why is planting in Cloverdale important? Planting in this particular neighborhood is really important to us. Um, one, because this is an, a neighborhood where the world really comes to us. There are so many different nationalities that are coming here as refugees, as immigrants, um, trying to start life in a new place, a new life in a new place. But even more than that, it's important because 4,000 lives that don't know Jesus is important, mm -hmm. regardless of where they're coming from. Yeah, that's good. Uh, how are you planting this church. So God didn't uh, start the church by staying, you know, out, out in heaven and away from people. He came as Jesus and became local and, uh, and, and called local people to become the church. Mm. And so we, um, Jeff and I, we believe that we also need to become local. So we live in the community or as close to the community as possible. And we're not just like what Dwight's been saying, we're not like uh, wanting to create more comfy uh, chairs uh, for people to sit in, but we want to actually uh, 
empower and, and teach and, and equip people as they come to know Jesus to actually go out and be, uh, um, be the church and, and reach other people for the gospel. So that's really important to us. And I think one of the successes, or the, I think one of the greatest successes, is that since we're a church that plants churches, we want to be able to be, in a few years, be able to say we're going to take some of our best people and send them to plant another church in another region. That's great. So what good news are residents in Cloverdale looking for? Well, most of the time, it's good news just to arrive here in Canada, just to mm. um, kind of go after this new citizenship here in Canada in the Western world because they're coming from a lot of difficult places. But even greater than that is to be given a greater citizenship, to become uh, citizens of heaven, to uh, discover the gospel. We want people to experience redemption. That's the number one thing we want people to experience in Cloverdale to be given that new identity, but also to go with that identity and see themselves as the most effective missionaries for their own neighborhood. Mm. It's not just that they get to um, wait as recipients of some outside generosity, but they get to steward their own assets and a God-given identity for their own neighbors. So good. So good. Last question is, what is the cost of this project? And I'm not just talking finances. What does it cost you guys? What is it going to continue to cost you? Yeah, so as I consider uh, the cost for, for my wife, Judy, and I, I think about um, God coming down and becoming man and incarnating and being in the world with people. And I think about the people of Cloverdale who have left the comfort of their countries to come and become citizens and residents of Canada and Quebec and so for Judy and I, uh, after 20, 20 years, more than 20 years of living in our own comfortable community, we decided to sell our home and uh, live uh, as close by to Cloverdale as we could. And we've left family, a very close family and friends uh, in order to do that. So it cost us that. And then there's just the trying to work things out in terms of finding new jobs and new realities. And hopefully one day I can leave my own corporate uh, job to, uh, to be full time in that, in that mission. That's great. And uh, even some of the costs that are considered too in this area are taking your idea of comfort and just throwing that in the trash, mm -hmm. taking actually our culture and putting that aside mm -hmm. and taking this idea that um, we come from the outside to serve this people because they've got the problems and we've got the solutions. Mm. Take that idea of, of controlling and, and helping in those ways and just giving uh, giving up our control to say at some point we've got to give this all away to let the spirit filled people of those indigenous groups to lead others as well. That's so good. Thanks, guys. Uh, I think that goes back there. Thank you so much. Uh, I am, I am, yeah, you can go. I'm sorry. You want a hug? Bring it in, ma'am. I'm a, I'm a loving pastor that will hug you if you need it. I sensed that Brian needed a hug right then. Um, but th this excites me. This excites me a lot. So we're not planting the church with like this crazy strategy and we're gonna like get to this number and we're gonna throw a bunch of money and building and service and all this. We're gonna watch this thing grow slowly. So, uh, so Jeff is leading a city group out there, which now there's a French uh, city group that, that Brian and Judy are leading. And so we wanna see this thing multiply and, and become the church. We're not gonna put a lot of 
Church 21 stuff onto it because it needs to look different. Uh, so even a different name, Redemption Church. Uh, so there's no hard launch date. There's no anything. It's just going to watch the people of God uh, be spirit-filled witnesses, see it grow, and then we'll, we'll send out completely when appropriate. Uh, so I'm really excited about this. Uh, hopefully you guys are excited about this inwardly as well. And, um, and be praying for them. Yes. So we're going to end this with, with this. Uh, we're trying to raise, uh, as Acts 29 Canada, so we now hit, we started a few years ago with six churches. We now hit the 20 mark uh, last week, so that's good. Um, but we're, we're trying to see all of these churches uh, contribute towards $20,000 uh, so that we can give uh, 5000 each to, to the four church plants. You have a little card that says 20K on it. On the back, you'll see the four couples. One in the Yukon. Oh, if I could take you all to the Yukon and see the work that's happening through Harrison and Caitlin, you'd all want to move there, except in the winter. Um, it's worse than here, and it's dark, and it's horrible, but they're doing great work. Uh, Saskatchewan, uh, this is an amazing story. Sam, Sam is a First Nations person, and he uh, is, is planting in a very white community. They don't understand Really, so he's getting to explain to them why someone who's First Nations is planting with them that the gospel is so much bigger than uh, race and culture and history. It's all to do with Jesus. Um, Shannon and Melissa McConnell are planting in Peterborough, Ontario. They just launched a few weeks ago. They went from like them to being about 75 adults, lots of new believers, baptisms. And then the, the fourth project will be Jeff and, and Brian, uh, Jillian and Judy. Uh, so we're hoping to, to get a lot of money for that. So there's a few different ways you can give. You don't have to just give today. We're going to be doing this all month. You can give by check and put it in the normal offering. This isn't instead of your offering. Uh, this is on top of that, right? So um, we want to keep growing as a church. We're doing really well with our budget. Amazing. We've given an astronomical number to try and hit this year, and we're actually on pace for that, which is cuckoo to me. Um, but you can write a check out to Acts 29 Canada uh, and put 20K in the... Well, you can write it out for 20K and we can be done today. Uh, so go ahead and do that. But if you can't do that and it's lower and you still use checks, you can put 20K in the memo line and we'll know what that means. Uh, or you can go to give.acts29canada.com. And as you're doing that online, um, make sure you click on Acts 29 Canada because there's a whole list of things that you can give to. So make sure that you do that. But you're like, I, don't, I can't give a lot. Well, give two bucks. Like, Whatever. Uh, give whatever you can so that the gospel is advancing here in our city and across our nation. Now, we'll end with this. What is your role? What is your role? Because you are all witnesses. You're all witnesses. We handed out something called Acts 29 Training. Uh, uh, we're actually, we've developed and are implementing the academy within our, within our church. So if you're someone that wants to learn how to lead yourself, which all of you should, to lead others or to lead churches, we actually have something within Church 21 for you to be involved in. In fact, all of our city groups will be doing the lead everyone category uh, or lead yourselves. So that's, that's available to you uh, because we're all witnesses. So what is your role? Number one is to lay down your life. That, that's part of your role. Lay down your life. 
Lay down your life to serve, show and tell of, of the great God that we, that we serve. To lay down your plans. You might have plans to move somewhere else. Well, maybe today the Lord says, ah, oh, no, you're actually gonna move into Cloverdale Village. You were looking for a sweet house like Brian and Judy had. Well, you don't realize how much they had to downsize till I walked into their house. I think you guys have been there for a week. And, uh, and I'm like, so cardboard boxes are the new sofa. I guess. Like, there was no space for any of their stuff. They were downsizing like crazy. So you don't realize the cost until you actually have it around you. Like, oh, we don't have any place to put any of this stuff anymore. But maybe you're supposed to move out there. Maybe you're supposed to stay in Montreal. We're going to keep planting churches. We're going to keep sending people out. Or maybe you need to move somewhere globally that, that Acts 29 or another church planting organization is connected to. But you, you don't get to lay the plans for your lives. You get to lay them down, and then the Holy Spirit gets to do what he wants to do. So today, today, I want to ask you, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Is your heart ready for the Holy Spirit to speak to you with what he wants you to do? In 2004, I heard to move to Quebec. I didn't know anything about Quebec. I had been saved for one year. Move to Quebec. All right, I'm willing, open, whatever. 2007, I heard about church planting. I want you to church plant in Montreal. Okay, I don't know what that looks like. So we figured it out. The Holy Spirit was very clear about what we were supposed to do. And it was all of a sudden, I want you to move to Quebec. I want you to plant a church. So today, maybe there's that all of a sudden moment for you. So what I wanna do is I wanna work through a liturgy with you. This is foreign to us. It's a, it's a responsive reading, all right? So this means that you actually have to speak out loud. And people are gonna speak at different cadences than you. You're not gonna speak the same. This is not about being a unified voice necessarily as about you saying it out to Jesus. So if you have to cover your ears as you do it to not get confused, do whatever you need to do. But I'm gonna invite you to stand. There's a part I'm gonna read and then you're gonna read and say, and we're gonna do this together. And you're going to see some things and you're like, I don't know if I want to say these things. Say them. (laughs) Say them and say, Spirit, make this true for me. I don't want this. Make that true. Make my words actually be prophetic in what I'm doing. So here we go. And uh, I will be the leader, by the way, um, if this thing works. There we go. So this is all based on lots of scriptures put together. But whom shall the Lord send into the world? Send us. Why would he send you? Because we are his people. We were once not his people, but because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have been forgiven. We've received eternal life, have eternal value, meaning, and purpose that cannot be taken away. He calls us new creation. He has made us family. We are his servants on his mission. We are ambassadors who are sent to show and tell of our great God. Would you go into danger? Why? Because we have nothing to lose. We have already lost our lives to Christ. No danger can separate us from his love. But what if you die? To live is Christ and to die is gain. Death cannot separate us from him. Jesus overcame death, and one day death will die. Well, how will you change people? We can't change people. The Spirit of God can. 
We believe that he uses the gospel to unlock closed minds and hearts. We will share the way that Jesus has changed us. Are you willing to do anything for the gospel? Well, what question do you want the spirit to answer today? Where do you want us to be your witnesses? We are willing. We want to see Jesus lifted high above all else. Here we are. Lord, send us. So that's weighty. So I'm going to pray over us. What we're going to do is we'll invite you. If the Lord is speaking to you about this, about some role, well, then, then come down. Come down to this, this front section behind the front section of chairs. Uh, come down and say, like, Spirit, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to be involved in? Come and talk to me. Uh, I'd love to, to help you discern what it is that the Spirit might be saying to you. But, but what you just read, that's weighty. That, that will change cities, that will change countries, that will change the world. And if a group of 200 people will say, I'm willing to do anything for the gospel, send me, Lord, he will. And he'll give you all the opportunities to be able to declare and show of his excellencies to tattoo artists, to baristas, to financial atheists, to sons and daughters, to moms and dads, to those who are near to the church who think they're saved but aren't, and to those who are far from the church, Jesus wants to reach them. He'll do it through you. So let me pray. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit the way that you shook the place where your people were gathering? Would you shake this place? Would you shake our hearts? Would you give us expectancy? Would you allow for these things that we read together to not be liturgy back and forth, but to be true? Would you shake hearts? Would you shake our our minds out of of the the clutter of consumerism and and comfort and and self-pursuit and self-fulfillment? Would you cause us to be generous with our time and talent and treasure? Would you cause us to be generous with our wallets and with with our finances? Because the the finances that you give to us are, are ammunition against the gates of hell. It allows for people who are willing to lay down their lives in India to be able to do that full time. It allows for people to, to leave jobs. It allows for people that were without hope to receive hope. And Lord, would you fill us, not, not with expectancy that someone else is gonna do it, that Jeff and Brian will do it, that Dwight will do it, that Brian will do it, but that, that you will do it through them. Jesus, this is your church Nothing will overcome your church. The gates of hell stand no chance against your church. A government that wants to push out Jesus stands no chance against your church. Those that want to line up your people to be beheaded stand no chance because where the blood of the martyrs are, that's where the seed is planted so that the church can flourish because there's something so enjoyable that we'd be willing to lay down our lives. Lord, we need you. Would you cause us to be a church, literally, that gets to plant thousands of churches? And would that be amazing because we don't look at ourselves as as a church that has everything it's gonna take, but we look at you as the God who has everything it takes. So you are bringing everything to the table. You're giving us the silent microphone to speak and somehow you, Spirit, are working through us. Lord, overwhelm us today. Speak to us, Spirit, specifically. Would you call out new church planters? Would you call out people that would be willing to plant churches, to be part of church planting teams, to to move to Cloverdale, to give up their nice house, their nice flat, to go and live in a place that oftentimes is not so comfortable? To bring the good news that there's a better citizenship than citizenship in Canada. 
that there's a citizenship in heaven that's being offered through Jesus. So help us to respond how you want us to respond this morning, Jesus. We love you and we need you. Amen.